Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscoving, and hey, guess what? Guess what time it is? Are you ready for some football? Football season is officially upon us. Last night, we had the Hall of Fame game in the NFL. Yesterday started preseason scrimmages here in South Carolina. Tonight, uh, a few of the Grand Strand teams are starting off their season with some scrimmages tonight, primarily over at Carolina Forest, which I will be at. If you want to come over and say hi, I'll be up in the booth. Be sure to stop on by, say hi. Should be a fun night. Also, Myrtle Beach is playing Trinity Collegiate uh, tonight. And, yeah, should be a great night tonight. Uh, It's football season. What else can you say? Lots of things to talk about today. We're going to do the 2A and 3A preview since last week. I was not able to do the show last week. So combining the two, was going to do 2A last week and 3A this week. But we're going to combine the two. 
And before I start the show, for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, the reason why I wasn't able to do the show last week is because I came down with COVID. And yes, I know a lot of people, hey, myself included, going back to March and April and May and June and July, you know, I was thinking, okay, we've got the vaccines. We're we're getting to the end of the road. It looks like we're starting to get to the end of the road. But then the the Delta variant came around. Not enough people are getting vaccinated. And now we're back, not quite to square one, but as we'll talk about later, we'll actually talk about it in a little bit, but we'll talk about it more in depth with a couple of our guests later on. By the way, my guest this morning, Lou Bejak from the state will join me at 8 o'clock. Anthony Carroll, the new Conway Athletics Director, will join me at 8.30. And Ian Aaron will join me at 9. But especially with Lou and Ian, we're going to talk about the SEHSO Executive Committee meeting that happened this week and the recommendations that they've made in terms of potential impact that COVID could have on this season, which talk, you know, if you talked to me even just a couple of months ago, hell, even just a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, oh, we're we're in the clear. You know, if enough people get vaccinated, you know, they won't get affected. They won't get, uh, you know, they, they won't get sick, so we can move forward. Unfortunately, and I'm proof positive of it, that is not the case. Even if you are vaccinated, you can still get it. And let me just tell you, for those of you who fortunately have not had it yet, it's not fun. Now, obviously, with the vaccine, it's it's not going to be nearly as severe. You're not going to be put in the hospital. You know, you're obviously not going to die from it uh, if you have the vaccine. So that's why I say go get vaccinated. But at the same time, it's, it's not fun. You feel like crap for at least a week and you're fatigued you're drowsy you're just it's not good you don't want it trust me and you know like i said i thought you know that was the whole reason why i got vaccinated in the first place was okay let me do my part i'll i'll admit i'm i'm not a fan of needles as a result of things that happened to me as a kid so I was very hesitant to get it at first, but I I need I I did it in order to be able to get back to normal. And unfortunately, now as a result of not enough people doing that, we're not going to be able to get back to normal. So you know, already here here on the Grand Strand, we've already had three teams. Well, actually, excuse me, four teams. Uh, get hit with a quarantine of one form or another. Uh, one was a, uh, well, Myrtle Beach got hit before practice officially started. Uh, so they didn't really miss much practice. They missed maybe a couple of days. 
Uh, Loris got hit last week, um, but they'll be back in time for the 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 CNB kickoff classic. But now St. James and Green C. Floyd both had to back out, and they're going to not be able to scrimmage at all. I, I think I saw yesterday that they officially announced that Green C. Floyd is going to have to miss week zero as well. So not a good start to things. And the SEHSL has already said you need to come up with a contingency plan uh, for that. But before we get too deep into that, one other big announcement that the SEHSL made a couple of weeks ago that I want to talk about right now. We'll we'll get to the previews. We'll get to the 2A and 3A previews uh, at the bottom of the hour. And But especially with this story and with everything going on, definitely want to hear from you guys. Want to hear your thoughts on what what you think we should expect uh, moving forward this season. How, how bad is it going to get? Or are we going to be able to get through the season without any changes? Want to get your thoughts on all of that. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. But like I mentioned, before I get to all of that good stuff, a couple of weeks ago, the SEHSL has announced new enforcement rule, new enforcement of rules. Now, I, I think I saw something and maybe coming from NFHS. I'm not 100% sure of that. Uh but whether it's NFHS or or the high school league, the SEHSL, doesn't matter. Still, the point still stands when I talk about this. They announced new enforcement of rules disallowing celebration of a first down. So if you get a first down as a wide receiver or a running back or whatnot, you can't get up and signal first down yourself anymore. And this is just absolutely ridiculous and asinine and just every negative word you can think of imaginable. The HSL is backtracking back to where the NFL was a couple of years ago. You know, you re- I'm sure people remember them calling it the no fun league. If this is coming from the NFHS, it's now the no fun high school league. You know, just add the L. It's it's no fun high school. There you go. This is ridiculous. And here's the thing. Here are two two issues. First off, it it's a simple move. It it's not directed at anyone. It's simply saying, Hey, I got a first down. I'm happy about it. What's the big deal about that? That should not be a big deal. So and 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 people are saying i you know people who are for it are saying oh you know you shouldn't do it because you know you should act like you've been there okay to an extent but just sibling just simply signaling a first down should not be a big deal let the kids play let the kids have some fun and here's the thing too this isn't even the 90s and this is 
sure as hell isn't the 80s, where any sort of flamboyance or showmanship in sports is frowned upon. This is the new day and age. Look at look at all the major sports. You know, look at baseball with the bat flips. Look at you know, obviously football with with their celebrations. And and you know, look at basketball with how with how they are too. This is the this is the day and age, especially with social media and all of that, where big personalities win. Big personalities are what draw. And yes, I know, you know, this is high school sports, you know, all the old cliches about high school sports. It should be about the team, et cetera, et cetera. I get that. But let the kids have some fun. What what harm is, you know, just signaling first down? And here's the other thing, too, about it that I don't get and... I think, you know, it's a very slippery slope, and I'm going to ask Lou and Ian about this later and and get their insight on it and where, based on what they've heard, where does the line start and end? Only specifically mention the whole first down thing. But then what stops it from saying, oh, if a defensive back deflects a pass, and stops a pass, you know, causes an incompletion. Does them waving their hands in the incomplete signal is that an unsportsmanlike penalty? Is a is a is a skilled player or a kicker if they get a touchdown or a field goal just simply putting their arms up as a touchdown? Is is that an unsportsmanlike penalty? Any sort, any referee movement based around that. I mean, you can take it to basketball too. You know, you can you you could say you know that you know someone simply putting up the three you know the the three fingers for a three pointer. That's you know that that's you know an unsportsmanlike or or them just simply going you know them. Uh, doing the traveling violation movement, you know, there or or in baseball, you know, this is just—it's a very slippery slope. And and my que- my big question that I'm going to ask is: Yes, it only specifically mentioned first down, but the phrasing in which it's done you could say that about any sort of motion so what are the players just supposed to be robots out there and you know oh big play they you know no emotion whatsoever big play they just run back to the huddle that's not that's not sports if there's no emotion in sports then what is it that it it just does not work for me. It just does not make sense. It's it's just ridiculous. That it, it's just ridiculous on its face that we even have to be talking about this. Because without emotion, without that passion, sports would be 
boring. Just think about it. You know, think about all of the big moments in sports. Okay, think about, you know, Michael Jordan's The Shot without him jumping up and down after he made that shot. Think about... Hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of a good comparison in the NFL of an iconic moment that, you know, you know, they... I mean, pretty much any big play, any big play in the NFL, in NFL history, you're one of the iconic shots is of either that player or the quarterback celebrating that play. Now, without that, it it wouldn't feel as special. It wouldn't feel as important. So, I mean, what I would love to see happen, I know it won't for a number of reasons, but I would love to see, you know, players on both sides and and, even, and the coaches giving their blessing of saying, just do it. If we get the 15 yards, we get the 15 yards. You know, and, and if enough players and enough uh, teams just do it anyway, the refs aren't going to just completely take over the game. Or better yet, the refs, you know, especially with the ref shortage, you know, the the SEHL can't afford to be firing refs. You know, the refs could easily say, this is ridiculous. We're not going to enforce this. I know it won't happen, but I'm just saying that that's what I would do personally. Uh, if I were a ref uh, in the SEHSL. If it's very subtle, like, you know, and there's a fine line. If it's aimed directly at a player and he's in his face, then yeah, of course. that That's not good. He gets up. After after everyone's walking away, he just goes like he just does a very simple first down motion and walks back to the huddle. I don't see a problem with that at all. But the, that that's my thought. Would love to get your thoughts on it as well, uh, because I I know I saw a bunch of people not exactly happy about it. So we'd love to get your thoughts on it. Three two three seven eight four nine six eight one is that number to call. That number again, three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. Uh for the next ten minutes before I go to break, talk about the SEHSL meetings this week. Uh first off, they decided they will stick with five classifications. Uh they will not expand it, which I think makes sense. I don't think there are quite enough teams that you could exert seven. This isn't Texas. This isn't Georgia. This isn't Florida, where there are just so many teams that you can you can have that level. I think five is the right number. Maybe as as things progress, maybe you expand to six, but I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how that works over the next few years. But right now, for the time being, I think five is a sweet spot. Uh, Benedict was officially announced as the site for the championship games. 
I've mentioned it before. I'm still not a fan of this. Still would have preferred to have Williams Bryce give the kids that moment, uh, especially for you know the kids that aren't going to be going to collegiate ball. I understand it. Uh, I understand they're trying to, you know, cut costs. They're trying to make it bigger in terms of feel, in terms of, you know, the atmosphere, because, you know, 10,000 in Benedict feels much bigger than 10,000 in Williams-Brice. I get that. But at the same time, like I said, if I were a, you know, and I, I I said this, I was thinking this to myself last year, I was, you know, for North Merrill Beach. I was like, you know, yeah, great, you made a state championship, but, you know, I I would have been disappointed that I got to play on a D3 field instead of, or I forget if Benedict, Benedict, D2, or I, I think it's D2. Um, I would have been disappointed if I were playing on a D2 field instead of playing at one of the biggest stadiums in the country and and playing on that Division One SEC field. Uh, you know, I've mentioned it before. I you know I wasn't playing football, but you know when I was in high school up in Jersey. I was in the band, and we made it to state championships in, you know, and I remember being able to walk on to Giant Stadium Field and, you know, that experience and, and, and seeing, the, seeing the NFL logo on the field, seeing the Giants logo, seeing, you know, all of that and being, the, being able to experience that was really cool. I feel like it would have hit a lot less hard if it were played at one of the the lower end colleges. You know, it would have been like, okay, yeah, this is cool, but you know, it's not. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, it's not that. It, it wouldn't be as big of a deal to me. But that's just my thought thought on that. Um, and then finally, like I said, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the big news that has come out this week and things have been moving very rapidly, Ian Garen mentioned that there's some rumblings of what may potentially end up happening with this, uh, over, uh, these next couple of days, uh, so I'm gonna ask him, gonna ask Lou what what the latest is in the Midlands, but the SEHSL is suggesting once again this year that regions shuffle their schedules to put the region games in the front of the schedule to make sure that if anything does happen, they have flexibility to move games around and make sure that they are able to get all the region games in. Not sure how that'll work. There's no official indication by any region that if 
that this is going to happen. Like I mentioned, Ian Gary mentioned last night that this is in preliminary stages of happening here on the Grand Strand. So we'll wait and see, get his get his official full thoughts on it when when he comes on later. Uh I initially thought that this that it would be too late in the game for this to happen with the season just starting in a couple of weeks. But like I said, according to Ian Garen, they're at least in the opening stages of getting that done. Um not sure how that's going to work in terms of the back end, depending upon, you know, uh, de- depending upon schools have, uh, what am I trying to say? Depending upon if, if you know, or, you know, pretty much every region would have to do this and then schools would have to reschedule their non-region games. Because here's the thing. This isn't like last year where you only had seven games. And, you know, if you had to do this now, if you had to do it later on in the game, you only had to worry about rescheduling two games. But now, with the full ten, now you're trying to reschedule, you know, four or five games. You know, maybe you know some schools maybe may have a few fewer. Um, basically, four or five games, um, or sometimes six. Uh, or no, sometimes three rather, three, four, or five uh, games. You're trying to reschedule. Those are the non-region games. You're trying to figure out, okay, who can we play now at the back end of the schedule? And that's going to be tricky. And what do you do if you aren't able to get games? Do you just have six weeks of buys or however many weeks of buys that you would have? That would be bad for the playoffs because then you'd have teams that, you know, theoretically may be sitting on the sidelines for five or six weeks. And how do they keep themselves up in terms of, you know, physical preparedness? So that's going to be something that they're going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, Regions have to come up with ideas on how to determine the playoff teams if they aren't able to play games, play every region game. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Um, And like I mentioned... You know, multiple teams have had to go into quarantine already. Green Sea Floyd, St. James, both had to drop out of the CNB. Uh, Loris only will be able to play in the CNB, will not have any other scrimmages. And there are currently four teams in the Charleston area that are in quarantine right now. So, not a good start to the uh, preseason this year thus far. We'll have to wait to see how things go. That'll be a big question I'll ask both Lou and uh and Ian later on. Um but those are my thoughts on on everything that's going on 
with that. So I'll take a quick break and then come right back and we'll get into the 2A and 3A preview uh, and my prediction for that. And then at the top of the hour, we'll have Lou Bedrack from the state coming on. So be sure to keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and if you want to get in on all the action, if you want to talk anything locally, regionally, nationally, uh, this morning, be sure to call on in 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. And like I mentioned, we're going to get into our preview for this morning uh talking some 2a and 3a football gonna go through each region give you my predictions on who should win the region who do expect to win the state uh all of that good stuff um and starting with 2a region one uh they're actually scrimmaging as we speak uh this morning or excuse me, I take that back. They scrimmaged yesterday uh, or last night. Scrimmaged last night against, uh, let's see, who did they scrimmage against? They scrimmaged against Westside, and that is Abbeville uh, up in Region 1. And I think... You have to think that they're probably, I would say, they're the favorites, uh, certainly to win Region 1 again. Um, So I'm I'm going with the the Big A to win Region 1 yet again. Uh, Region 2, it's going to be interesting to see how Region 2 is without Legion this year because they've obviously moved to the North Carolina uh independent school association um so who they end up playing you know who ends up getting now granted legion didn't do all that great in in football last year um chesney won the region last year st joe's was right behind them blacksburg had a really off year didn't win a single region game um, I think in this one, I think St. Joseph's, I'm going to pick St. Joseph's to win the region, but I think Blacksburg is going to take a step up. I think they'll, uh, they'll definitely be better than the bottom of the, of the barrel this year. Chesney will still have a good season, uh, but I'm picking St. Joe's to, to win the region. Uh, region two. Uh, you know, Gray Collegiate has gotten so many pieces, um, you know, because of that system. And I've talked about it. A lot of people don't like it. I'll talk about a few other things that have happened over the last couple of weeks that I'm sure people around the state don't exactly like. But, hey, that's the world we live in now. And players are getting more empowered now. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to get to the next level. And they'll go to the place that they think that that it gives them the best opportunity. Whether they're right or wrong, we can have that debate. They can do what they feel is, is best for them. And, you know, and the schools that are left behind... They're just going to have to 
you know, they're just going to have to adapt. You know, that's that's the world that that's the world and that's the you know, I know especially for high school, you know, you don't want to talk like this, but that's the business that we live in now. And and even on the high school level, to a much lesser extent obviously, but even on the high school level, you know, this is a business. There you you are fo- you know, these high school players are focused on their brands, focused on what will get them to the next level the best. And now with NIL and, you know, there are no rules against high school kids as of right now. There are no rules for high school kids not to likeness. That may be coming down the road because they're minors. We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But look at what Mikey Williams has done. Look at a few other players. We're we're gonna see it. It's gonna be less prevalent, obviously, in high school, but it's gonna happen. But like I mentioned, gray collegiate is going to be the the uh, the standard bearer for Region Three. Uh, but I think Big Batesburg Leesville, I think, will take a step up. I think they'll make the playoffs. Saluda, I think, will make a bit of a step up. They'll probably make the playoffs this season. Uh, in Region 4, uh, Region 4, I'm thinking, is going to be wide open. And North Central won it last year, uh, but I think Sherrall will take a step up. I think Andrew Jackson will take a step up. I'm going to pick Sherrall to win, win that region. Uh, in Region 5, you know, last year you had Pelion winning it, uh, but um, I think Wade Wade Hampton they have a young team, uh, you know, or they had a young team last year. I think they're gonna take a step up. Barnwell, I think, will be good. Hmm. I think I'm going to have to go with Barnwell, but I think Wade Hampton could potentially surprise some people as well. I think I think it'll be Wade Ham or Barnwell and Wade Hampton one two this season. Region six two A, another region that that I feel is is wide open. Um, you know. Ridgeland Hardyville didn't play at all last year. We'll have to see, you know, how that impacts them. The fact that, you know, they've they didn't have a whole season. Uh you know, I think I'm probably gonna have to go with Woodland repeating this year. Um but you know, again, it's it's one of those regions, or one of those, yeah, one of those regions that you're you're not sure about. Um, going down to uh, region seven, the final region in two A. This is going to be another interesting one. I think Marion is still probably the uh you know the 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 
top of the class in in that region. But think, but also you have to take into consideration so how is that going to play out? How is the fact that he has to implement his whole system in going to play out? Uh, at least this isn't last year where he had much li- more limited time. But still, it, there may be some uh, some growing pains there. Um, I also think Latta will take a step up. They missed a lot of games last year. Only played three games last year. So, you know, they're going to be hungry to do better this year. Um, but I, I do think Marion will still have enough pieces to be able to to win it win it all uh, this season. Mullins, I also think, could make a step up uh, because of only playing three games last year. Uh, now going up to 3A. And like I mentioned, if you want to get your thoughts in on any of this stuff, uh, 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Moving up to 3A, Region 1. Region 1 is going to be an interesting one uh, this year, I, I think. Daniel is coming off at, you know, off of being the state champs in 3A. Um, you know, they're predicted to be high. They may fall off a little bit. I think uh, you know, I think Ren will get will make a step, you know, will continue playing well. Uh Belton Hanaya Path I think will will play will play much better this season. Um Still, I'm going to stick with the the ranking or the the uh, standings from last year. Daniel winning the region, Ren in second, and then BHP in third. Uh, but that, you know, I think those three. I think Ren could potentially step up and and win the region. And it's gonna, that's going to be an interesting region to watch. Uh, region two, uh, you know, Palmetto was the champ was the region champion last year, um, and I think they probably will be as well again this year. Uh, so I'm going to take Palmetto to win the region this year. Uh, but I think Southside will will take a step up. I think Blue Ridge could potentially t- take a step up. Uh, so that's going to be another region that, you know, going to be interesting to see how, how that plays out. Region 3, Chapman won it last year. Um, I think they'll probably win it again this year. Oh, I forgot to mention who I think will be in the uh, state championship this year for uh, for 2A. I think it'll be Abbeville again in the upstate. And for the lower state, the lower state is much harder because I want to go ahead and say Marion again. But like I mentioned, with no head coach, 
or with a new head coach, rather. I think it's a lot trickier to predict that one. I think Marion will at least get to the lower state championship. But I think... I think I'm going to have to go with either... I think I'll go with either Pelion or Barnwell. I think I'm going to go with Barnwell for for uh, for the state championship team. So Abbeville and Barnwell, and I think Abbeville will will win it again uh, this year. Um, moving back over to three A. Um, Like I mentioned, uh, Region 3, Region three. I, I, I think Chapman will win it again, but I think Woodruff will make a run. I think Brome and Emerald will will do a lot better uh, than it did last year, than they did last year. Um, I could see those four being the four teams that make it in – into the playoffs out of Region 3. And for those of you who don't remember, they are going back to the old system of uh, of four teams uh, making it per region, which in, in some regions it still makes it competitive. Like, obviously, in Region 6-4A with seven teams, it's still very competitive to see who gets those four spots. But in in... Other regions, like in 5A especially, with only five teams per region, it makes the – it dilutes the regular season a lot because then unless you're one of the expected bottom two teams in the region, you're pretty much guaranteed going into the season. Okay, we're making the playoffs. It's just a matter of seeding at this point. That's the re- that's the reason why last year, if you remember, I I mentioned I think they should should have split the difference and done three per region, and given the 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 region champions a bye, and that would have kind of given both an incentive to win the region and also uh, made the the, re- the battles within the region more competitive. But, so, moving on, going down to 4A, or re- 3A, region 4, 3A, excuse me. Um, I think Lower Richland is going to take a step up. Um, I don't know if they win the region. Um, but I think I'll go with Chester to win Region 4. Uh, Region 5, I think Brooklyn Casey, um, you know, Gilbert is, is still a very good team. Um, you know, actually, now that I think about it, I was thinking initially to give it to Brooklyn Casey. But I, I think Gilbert will will win the region once again. Brooklyn Casey is going to be right behind them. You know, I think it's basically going to be the same uh, ranking as it was last year. Same same standings as it was last year. Uh, region six, 
I think this is another tough one. Because on one hand, I want to say Gilbert wins it again. I think Crestwood, or excuse me, I think Lake City, I think Crestwood, and I think Marlboro County all take steps up this year. So I'm going to say that Camden wins it again, but it's going to be a very tight race between those four. And those are the four teams that I think will make the playoffs. Region 7, this is another one. Like with Marion, Dylan also has a new head coach. And so, do they stay where they are? This is the region that we're going to be talking about specifically with Ian because, you know, you have Aner and Loris both in, in Horry County. And all these schools, you know, in the general area. Um, Dylan wins the the region again, especially with Nemo Squire. Yes, yes, I do. Do they potentially take a half step back because of losing because of losing their legendary head coach? Potentially, but I think they'll be okay. And then finally, uh, Region 8, I think Oceanside Collegiate pretty much has that in the bag. Uh, I think Bishop England will take a step up. Uh, Hanahan may take a bit of a step down, but Oceanside is going to have that one. And then in terms of the... The, cha- the the championship game for for this one I I want to say Daniel takes a step down and doesn't make it into the championship game this year but it's, but at the same time it's very hard to go against them so I think I think Daniel will make it to the state championship game but I think they're going to – I'm not sure. You know, I, I think that's one that – that's one of the ones that I think could most easily change. Um, and then from the lower state, I, I think uh, – hmm. in the lower state, I think Oceanside – is going to take that next step, and I think Oceanside will make it uh, to the state championship. And I think Oceanside will win it. I think they'll take that next step to where they need to be, uh, and and they're going to show, you know, and people are not going to like it. I'm just going to say that straight up. People are not going to like the fact that Oceanside is winning. But I think it's going to happen for them this this season. So, with about a little over five minutes before Lou Bedjack from the state comes on, I'll run through a few other notes around the state. Uh, high School Sports Report came out with their preseason rankings. Run through them, those real quick. In 5A, surprise, surprise, Dutch Fork is at, at the top. 
Sumter is at two. Fort Dorchester is at three. Dorman is at four. Northwestern fifth. Burns sixth. T.L. Hanna seventh. Gaffney eighth. Goose Creek ninth. Somerville tenth. West Ashley eleventh. Spartanburg twelfth. Chapin thirteenth. Spring Valley fourteenth. And Carolina Forest is fifteenth. In four A. North Merle Beach, they're thinking North Merle Beach is at the top again. Greenvi- Greenwood at two, Myrtle Beach at three, North Augusta at four, AC Flora at five, Greenville at six, Greer at seven, South Point at eight, Westside at nine, Irmo at ten, Beaufort is at 11th, Hartsville 12th, West Florence 13th, James Island 14th, and South Aiken, 15th. In 3A, Daniel is at 1, Dillon at 2, Oceanside Collegiate, 3rd, Chapman, or Chapman, 4th, Gilbert, 5th, Camden, 6th, Clinton, or excuse, yeah, Camden, 6th, Clinton, 7th, Wren, 8th, Hanahan, 9th, Palmetto, 10th, Crestwood, 11th, Marlborough County, 12th, Manning, 13th, at 14 is Brome, and at 15 is Lake City. In 2A, Abbeville is number one, Gray Collegiate second, Chesney third, North Central fourth, Andrews fifth, Shiraz sixth, Barnwell seventh, Christchurch eighth, Silver Bluff ninth, Saluda tenth, Newberry eleventh, Woodland twelfth, Marion thirteenth, Pelion 14th, and Batesburg Leesville, Leesville at 15th. In 1A, Southside Christian at, at 1, Lakeview at 2, Well Branch at 3, Blackville Hilda at 4, Bamberg Earhart at 5, Johnsonville 6th, Louisville 7th, McCormick 8th, Baptist Hill 9th, Lamar 10th, Wagner Sally at 11, C. Murray 12th, Carver's Bay 13th, Allendale Fairfax at 14th, and Ridge Spring Mineta at 15th. A few other quick notes around the state. Logan Pemberton was named the new baseball coach at Chester, played baseball at Louisville. So congrats to him. James Chipper Smith was named the new baseball coach at Wilson, was a pitcher and shortstop at Wilson, and was an assistant for the last six years for the Tigers. And he will look to turn that program around. They've, you know, while ironically they, they beat North Myrtle beach and they looked like they were playing pretty well, uh, right at the end of the 2020 season, right before everything got shut down. Uh, last season, 2021, they did not play very well. We're down at the bottom of region six. Uh, so he's going to have some work cut out for him to build that program back up. This is what I was talking about earlier. A couple of transfers out of state, uh, uh, Porter transferred from Heathwood to gray collegiate, but again, into the, one of those collegiate schools. Uh, and Julian Phillips transferring from Blythewood to Link Year Prep in Missouri. So once again, that trend of players transferring out either into the collegiate schools 
or to uh, to uh, you know to bigger name schools out of state continues, and you just have to get used to it. That's just the world we live in now. Uh, so I'll take a quick break. Come right back. We'll have Lou Bezak from the state joining us at the top of the hour right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Where it began I can't begin to know it But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Hands Touching hands Reaching out Touching me Touching you Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. Waiting on Lou Bezak from the state to call on in. 
supposed to have him on at the top of the hour. Uh, but while we wait, go through some other uh, news and notes, go through some recruiting news uh, real quick around the state. A bunch of players either, you know, getting offers uh, just generally, but also a lot of players uh, getting their official offers um, for for colleges, the, the official letter uh, that says, hey, you know, this is an official scholarship offer. And and a lot of these players were players that um, already were committed to those programs. Trent Pierman from Daniel was offered by Western Carolina. Jaden Bradford from Chapman offered by Penn State. Uh, Chase Swigert from Chapman officially offered by Liberty, uh, who I believe, if I remember correctly, is uh, is committed over there at Liberty. Uh, Eli Henderson from Burns, officially offered by Arkansas. Uh, Raheem Jeter from Spartanburg, offered by West Virginia. Trayvon West from Wren, offered by West Virginia as well. Fletcher Cothran from T.L. Hanna, offered by the Citadel. Uh, Robbie Harrison from Emerald offered by a couple of schools. Well, one unofficial but you know new offer for him by Washington State and was officially offered by Kansas State and Navy. Jaden McGowan from Lawrence was offered by Vanderbilt. Peter Zamora from Westside officially offered by Marshall. Jaleel Skinner from Greer officially offered by Texas. Noah Summers from Rock Hill, officially offered by Charleston Southern. Colin Sadler from Greenville, officially offered by Clemson. Jaden Lucas from Malden, officially offered by Clemson as well. Jacoby Henderson from Catalba Ridge, officially offered by Marshall. Randy Caldwell, Deuce Caldwell from Malden, officially offered by North Carolina. Mackie Williams from Quest Crestwood, officially offered by the Citadel. Xavier Short from Chapin, officially offered by App State. Bennett Galloway from Chapin, officially offered by NC State. Kazarius Adams from Great Collegiate, officially offered by Georgia State. Rondarius Porter from Great Collegiate. Offered by Stetson. Alec Johnson from Great Collegiate. Officially offered by Georgia State as well. Jacob Ashley from Oceanside Collegiate. Officially offered by Charlotte. Carson Arnold. Also from Oceanside Collegiate. Officially offered by the Citadel. Nick Emanwari from Irmo. Officially offered by South Carolina. Javion Johnson from Kane Bay. Officially offered by Charleston Southern and Citadel. Jamorian Franklin from Lake City, officially offered by ECU. Jalen Sneed, who just committed just a few weeks ago uh, to them, officially offered by Notre Dame. And here we have Lou Bejack from the state on with us. Lou, good morning. Hey, Brandon. How you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Long time no talk. How has your summer been? It's doing good. Quick. Yeah, it was. It was. It was definitely quick. 
before we talk about previewing the season and getting your thoughts on, on some of the, the lower classifications, uh, there has been a lot of news around the last couple of weeks. Uh, one thing that came out a couple of weeks ago was the banning of celebrating first downs. What are your thoughts of this rule? And based on your understanding of it, where is the line drawn when it comes to this? Because there are other motions that players use that could fall under the same category. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, <laughs> I was at a practice the other day and the coach uh, definitely emphasized uh, one of his players after doing a pass breakup uh, did the most of the um, incomplete sign. And uh, I think, and he's like, that's not going to happen this year because you're going to get a 15-yard penalty. Uh, the National Federation of High School uh, wanted to uh, crack down a little bit, and that's going to be one of the emphasis. That and uh, like the first down signal after maybe getting up after uh, making a first down. So I, I don't know where the line is. I, I, I don't find anything wrong with that. Maybe if you were taunt, maybe if you did a signal yeah. or something and stood over a player, uh, that that's where I would throw it. But it's going to be interesting to see how it's officiated and how it's called. And you're just going to have to adjust whether you like it or not. I know I know, coaches aren't in favor of it, but, I um, mean, just got to adjust and uh, move on. So based on what the coaches are at least assuming, it seems like the a, a defender doing the incomplete uh, signal is also going to be against, is also going to count towards that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about do you have they said anything about like a kicker if if he makes a big field goal putting up his hands for a touchdown would that also count? I don't know about that. I I don't think I've ever seen a kicker do that. I mean, I don't think that's going to be. Uh, I just think uh, the intent is just to not show up the, your opponent. That that's I think the uh, first intent. But, but we'll we'll see what happens. I mean. <laughs> Uh, it's just going to, it could be uh, from crew to crew. One crew might not have, yeah. uh, uh, you know, enforce it as much as another crew. So you're just going to have to adjust, but be mindful of it uh, each game. Yeah. yeah. Um, the SEHSO also announced that they're keeping the state championships at Benedict this season. Was that the expected results? And does it seem like it's going to be the case that they're going to keep it at best dick for the foreseeable future we'll see i mean they wanted it at one site that was the thing yeah. um because it hasn't been at one site since 2010 i believe 2010 or 2011 um but uh yeah it's either been split at from benedict and williams bryce but uh, i i think it's a good move i mean um we'll see what happens in like the 4a 5a games where you're going to have bigger crowds but and what what the parking situation but it's um, it's going to be a lot of time split between games, in between games. So I don't think you're going to have that, you know, that traffic that you normally might have. You're going to be in and out, and um, it's going to be spread over three days. So, I mean, you're going to have a game on Thursday, two on Friday, and two on Saturday instead of uh, three on Saturday and two on Friday. So I think uh, it's the right move. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, Benedict. Uh, with the improvements they've made over the last couple of years in the seats and the um, and then putting the new turf on, new scoreboard, it's really a, 
attractive stadium to have, and it's a good location. Biggest thing is, like I said, when you're going to get a bigger crowd, maybe for a 4 or 5A game, will they have enough parking? And I think the seating is going to be all right. I think you see twelve to 13,000. So I think uh, it will look good. I mean, a full-capacity stadium as opposed to Williams-Brice, which, I mean, hosts 80,000, but it's empty. So it will be interesting. I, I'm I like – and the cost is the biggest thing. Um, mm. All the extra expenses to when when you have to go to USC, uh, you know, extra security, all all that. That's um, that's probably one of the biggest things I think. And Benedict, I think they let them have the parking and the concessions, and I don't know how much they they charge for the stadium fee, but uh, I think um, schools will be able to save a little bit more and and not have to pay as much. Uh, another point of emphasis this week uh, that the SEHSL talked about was the Delta variant and how to combat it uh, with the league suggesting region teams get, or region games get pushed up to the front of the schedule. Is that possible this game? What are you hearing from Midlands coaches and officials about how they're making sure the season stays in place? And are they expected to potentially reformat the schedule. Yeah, I'm going to be uh, making some phone calls on that. I've talked to some coaches already. Uh, that came out from Wednesday's meeting. They finally sent out the, um, the like, the form yesterday to the schools. And, I mean, they're just going to, I guess, try to do the best you can. Um, and some, some suggested them, why don't you just stop now and uh, pause it for a couple weeks and then, miss a couple non-region games, but we'll see. We've had, uh, there's two te- teams in our area that are quarantined right now, and one's Fairfield Central, one's Richmond Northeast. Richmond Northeast will be back on the 15th. They said they're still going to play their opener on the 20th. Uh, Fairfield Central is not sure. Um, they're coming back the 14th, and basically it only had one practice. So I don't. they're not sure if they're going to play their opener um, and just come back the following week and uh, give them extra time. So it's just we're going to have to see. Um, there's not a ton of schools that are in quarantine right now. I think maybe 10 or 11. So there, there's no point in shutting the whole thing down, I, I don't mm-hmm. think. Yeah, the biggest thing is these kids uh, either to get a vaccine. If if you're yeah. vaccinated, I mean, you don't have to worry about contact tracing. But then enforcing the contact tracing, because um, it's not like the NFL – where you wear those bracelets or whatever, yeah. and you know where you're at. You know who you've come in contact with and um, who's had the vaccine as well. Uh, schools aren't let – I mean, they, they don't want you to know. I mean, you can't force these kids. I mean, it's up to the parents to, to get their kids vaccinated. They don't want to – I mean, the co- it's out of the coach's hands. So uh, we'll, we'll see. What happened? I mean, it's a little different. And then uh, I'm—I don't know why. I mean, just because you have one positive test, why the whole program has to shut down? That's—you don't see that in other sports. I mean, yeah. the pros. I mean, that's different in that. But you don't see uh, whole, whole teams getting shut down for two weeks. I mean, if you have one kid, just um, kind of—you know—have them quarantine themselves, and if they're not contact tracing. But I think it's because there's not a lot of kids vaccinated. Um, and, youth in general around the country. So that's probably what they're doing in schools. Districts are just trying to be safe. Based on what you've heard, what is the vaccination rate uh, amongst high schoolers? Um, Well, we did an informal survey, anonymous survey, 
and only a few, I think only two coaches out of the 12 or 13 that responded said, uh, I think some was one, I think said it was about 50% on his team. Another said it was about 30%. So um, a lot of most of the, a lot of the coaching staffs are vaccinated, but uh, I've talked to some coaches that are frustrated that their assistants uh, don't, don't want to be vaccinated. So um it's uh, it's going to be touch and go and see. Hopefully these numbers go down. And you haven't seen any other states really kind of, um, uh, you know, shut things down or push things back. I think Hawaii is the only one. They're, they're, they pushed. They were supposed to start this weekend as far as games, but everything's been pushed back to the end of September because uh, I think the state in general made is making all their coaches and athletes, high school athletes, get vaccinated. So. I mean, they're man- then that's a mandatory, and yeah. you know that's not going to happen in South Carolina. So no. So moving on to previewing the season itself, I previewed one A a couple of weeks ago. Do you see anyone challenging Southside Christian this season, or are they still the odds-on favorite this season to win it all? Favorite. I mean, you're going to have like View and Lamar and those guys. Um, you're going to contend, but yeah, Southside's definitely uh, the favorite going in. Are there any teams that you're looking at that may surprise us this season in 1A? Mm, not any that kind of uh, stick out. I mean, I think the, the usual suspects are there. I mean, like you said, Lakeview, Lamar, um, those kind of schools are going to be going to be the ones, uh, the favorites to uh, um, kind of contend as usual. Southside, though, is this. Uh, been head and shoulders above the rest the last few years, so they're going to have their hands full. Yeah, moving up to two A, another classification that it seems like, with the exception of three A and four A, but even those you may say that there's that the team that won it last year is still the odds-on favorite. Anyone challenging Abbeville this year, or are they still head and shoulders above the rest? I mean, I think Gray, I mean, they, they made it to the Upper State Championship last year, uh, but they lost a lot. They still got Casey Adams and uh, Trey, at running back Trey Robinson. They're not as deep as they are at receiver. I think defensively they, they lost some. So, But I think Gray, they they just added a, a transfer from Heathwood Hall, uh, Rondarius Porter, who's mm-hmm. really good, brother, brothers at South Carolina. And I think that will help the defense. But, uh, yeah, Abbeville's been it's been really tough to beat, and I think, you know, I mean, Marion made a good run last year, but just ran out of gas in that in that championship game. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a big effort, but, I mean, I mean, Tate, I'm not sure what, I mean, I, I saw Woodland yesterday. Um, they're a two-way school. They played uh, Brooklyn Casey. They're pretty big uh, up front. I mean, they got Cam Pringle, who's, I think, six seven three hundred pounds for a sophomore. Their offensive line's pretty big, and they got a pretty good quarterback. I think they could challenge and make a run, possibly uh, um, play for a lower state championship or even win a lower state championship. So that's a team to watch for. So you would say Gray is still the kings of the Midlands this year for 2A, probably? I mean, Newberry's there. <clears throat> like I said, Newberry is there. I, I think we'll be in in the mix. Um, uh, Phil Strickland's last year. He said a few weeks ago it's going to be last year. They got some talent returning, and um, they struggled a little bit last year. Saluda, I think, is going to be better. I mean, 
They won it all a couple of years ago. I, I think they're, they're going to be right there. Batesburg, um, that, that region's very tough with Newberry, Saluda, Batesburg, Gray. I mean, that's tough to a region and state. So um, one of those groups, I mean, <clears throat> they're going to do their best to try and knock off Abbeville. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. In in 3A, who do you see the teams who are the biggest contenders? Do you, do you see it going along the same lines as last year, or, or could we see a, a new contender this year? I mean, uh, Daniel, I think, is definitely the favorite. Um, they got a lot of talent coming back. <laughs> they could throw the ball. They could put up a ton of points. So, um, Camden made it all the way last year, but they, they lost a lot. They lost both of the running backs, quarterback, um, uh, a lot of, lot of skill guys uh, gone. I uh, saw them scrimmage Blythewood last night. They, they didn't look too bad. It's going to be a little bit different type of offense, um, quarterback wise. Best uh, the new quarterback. He's more of a throwing quarterback. He's not going to give you that um, running threat like Jafari Pearson. Um, they're big defensively. They're I mean they got the number one prospect in the state for 2023 in Xavier McLeod, and they're going to pair him with Shamik Jones uh, right next to each other. Uh, on one side, and Jones is another big dude, um, basketball guy. Um, that, but he, he's getting some college uh, looks for football, and uh, they could be tough on defense. Um, Gilbert lost a lot. They lost a quarterback who transferred to Irmo. Uh, Colton Mason graduated uh, running back. Uh, they got a good sophomore running back. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, I think, be all right. They're going to be big up front. Uh, I think Brooklyn Casey, who I saw yesterday, I think they're going to challenge. Um, in the lower state, for sure, they uh, Coach Sharpie likes his uh, receivers. Called him the best maybe he's had. Tanner State and a quarterback, um, they they're they're pretty good as well. And then also, you know, can't count out Dylan. I think uh, new coach Calvin Roller. Um, he's been with the program so long, and they got they got a talented bunch. Uh, Thompson on the offensive line, uh, Nemo Squire running back, and um, I think three A is going to be really really competitive, especially in the lower state. You, you mentioned Dylan. How much does the fact that Kelvin Roller isn't there anymore, how much do you think that is going to uh, – or, excuse me, he takes over now. Um, there, yeah, Jackie, how much – I mean – What? Yeah, Jackie Hayes retiring. I mean – Yeah, I mean, yeah. Kelvin's been how, much do you, how much do you think that will impact the team, the fact that, you know, the iconic coach that has been there for so long won't be there? Yeah, Jackie's been there for so long, but Calvin also has been there a long time. Players are familiar with him, kind of new blood in the system, a younger guy, a little more. Um, so the the players are used to him. It's pretty much the same staff, a couple of new guys, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a transition. Um, I, he's kind of been waiting for this moment, and I think he'll be ready. They're going to be very good. Like I said, 3A lower state is going to be, I think, uh, very good. Yeah, it, it should be a fun season. Uh should be lots of fun. Uh and thanks thanks for joining me this morning. We'll be sure to get you on uh over these next couple of weeks to f- talk 4A and 5A. Uh any scrimmages in the Midlands tonight? Uh, I'm going to ski the scrimmage. I'm going to go watch Hammond uh, this morning against Thomas Sumter. We'll see uh Hammond obviously a new new regime there uh with uh Coach Kimry now at uh, South Carolina, tight ends coach John Wheeler. So good to see what 
I mean, not too much is going to be changed there. We're talking about like Jackie Hayes gone, but Henry, uh, John Wheeler's been with the program. What I mean, he was in the upstate the last few years, but I mean, he's been a former assistant, and I don't think you'll see much much difference. Uh, they lost a lot. I mean, with uh, Whitmus Champ transferring, with the USC old coaching staff leaving, mm-hmm. uh, Whitmus Champ transfer. I mean, he was their starting quarterback and Drew Bobo tackle. I mean, two Division One prospects. So that's going to be. <laughs> Big shoes to fill, but they got a good running back in Michigan commit, uh, C.J. Stokes. So um, I think you're going to see a lot of him this year uh, handling the ball, and I think he'll have a big season. Good morning, Lou, and uh, have fun over at Hammond Lair. All right, thank you. That was Lou Bejak from the state. Always fun talking to him uh, and a lot of good points. And, yeah, like you said, you know, you know, and, and this is what it is. It, it, it is what it is. You know, unfortunately, I mean, you know, fortunately for some and unfortunately for others, there are just certain areas, certain teams that are just always going to be good and are always going to win certain classifications. You know, uh, and it looks like this year, once again, you know, Abbeville's going to be the cream of the crop in 2A. Southside Christian's going to be the cream of the crop in 1A. And, you know, I think 3A, 3A is definitely more open than the other two. Uh, and like I said, I think Oceanside is going to win it all. But good. Dylan's good. Uh, you know, but you could see Daniel winning it all again. So, it, you know, it's just, it is what it is. You know, that that that's that's just what it what it comes down to at this point um but yeah so oh before uh i go to break i'll just finish up um the recruiting notes uh for this week uh like i mentioned jalen sneed from my hilton had officially guys offer from Notre dame he already committed there Antonio Williams from Dutch Fork, officially offered by South Carolina and Miami. Andre Washington from Ridview, offered by SC State. Nemo Squire, who we just talked about from Dylan, tried to get him on this morning, but uh, never got a response from him. Uh, he was from Madison, Furman, ECU, and Penn. Another Ivy League offer for Nemo. Definitely going to try to get him on over the next couple of weeks. Uh, want to talk to him about, you know, the difference between getting, like, getting an Ivy League spot or an, an Ivy League scholarship offer and other offers and, and how they compare. Avion McBride from West Florence, offered by Georgia State. Braylon Smith, Sapp from St. James, officially offered by Wofford. Carlton Terry from Conway, offered by Campbell. A bunch of Myrtle Beach guys getting offers. Trey Phillips, officially offered by Citadel. Ryan Berger gets his official offer from App State, who he committed to a while back. And and Adam Randall, officially offered by Clemson, who he also uh, committed a few months ago. On the basketball court, Kenny Briggs from Great Collegiate, offered by Charleston Southern. And Scott from Mexico, offered by Florida State. Noah Clowney from Dorman, offered by Illinois. Gigi Jackson from Ridview, offered by Florida State. On the women's side, Joyce Edwards continues 
from Camden continues to get tons of offers. Over the last couple of weeks, got offered by Michigan State, Penn State, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Arizona, and VaTech. So she she's going to have the pick of the litter when it comes to where she wants to go play ball, college ball, in a couple of years. Uh, Alexa Grant, Alexia Grant, excuse me, from First Baptist, offered by App State, also on the women's hardwood. David Suther- Sutherland from Abbeville committed to Charleston Southern. Michael M- Mancaca from Lawrence committed to Clemson. Jaden Lucas from Malden committed to Clemson as well. Jackson Hall from Bel- Belton Hanea Path committed to South Carolina. Desmond Boatwright from Blythewood committed to Georgia State. Jaden Johnson from Goose Creek committed to Howard. Davin Jackson from Sumter committed to NC State. Lenora Sellers from South Florence committed to Virginia. On the basketball court, Isaiah Williams from Blythewood committed to Air Force. And on the baseball diamond, a few commitments. Gabriel Simmons from Nation Ford committed to NC State. Zachary West from Dutch Fork committed to Wofford. Dion Brown from Clover committed to Clemson. And Walker Mitchell from River Bluff committed to Coastal. So I'll take a quick break, and then when I come back, we'll have Anthony Carroll, the new Conway Athletic Director, on. So keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Hey, yo, you ready? Let's do it. Feeling deranged, needing for y'all to put the word out. We ain't leaving. We 
kind of be rich before we all stop breathing. Therefore, we kind of hustle lane. Stay laying down our muscle game. Still turn your dreams to flame. You got the wire. If not, I ain't saying no name. You soon expire. No pain. I feel remorse. But some cautious me and Diddy your first race of horses with the big twin valve exhausted. On the cover of your vibe. Double X sounds the sauce. Come here. Going nowhere, we ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. This bad boy for life. We ain't. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. We can't be stopped now. This bad boy for life. This the notorious. Be everything still glorious. We still got warriors. Still be the victorious. See it's a lot of them, but it's more of us. Still got cash to blow, raps to flow. Still them cats to know. Pack your flow, that's for sure. The pop, the rock, play the background, handle my shot, holding my money to get, cost to flip, love it, place nothing above it. It's on like that. Don't believe we ain't going like that. For always gonna be here. We there. Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central, and as I mentioned, we got Anthony Carroll, new athletic director over at Conway, on with me this morning. Coach Carroll, how's it going this morning? Doing very well, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. First off, mentioned that uh, you you mentioned to me earlier that uh, you you got you got COVID as well. How are you feeling now? Well, I'm actually uh, today's my my last day of quarantine, so I'm feeling much better, uh, ready to get back to work. Yeah, yeah. I, luckily for both of us, it it just went through our system. First off, congrats on the new job as the AD over at Conway. What are your main goals starting off over at Conway? Well, yeah, I just want to come in and meet with our coaches and, and we've had the opportunity to do some of that, you know, just talk about expectations and how we're going to handle ourselves on the field, in the classroom, that type of stuff. And, uh, um, you know, we've only had about three weeks here before we started football practice. So it's, it's been real quick, but it's been um, something that I, I've wanted to do for a long time and, and I was prepared for the opportunity. So we were able to hit the ground running. And I'm uh, just thankful to to have the opportunity to come back and lead the program that I've been a part of for the last 26 years. How how has it been now with you as the athletic director, your interaction with the coaches, and and getting the getting all the teams in fall sports ready for their seasons? 
Well, you know, the good thing is I was able to serve as assistant athletic director for the last four years. Um, I think that helped to make this transition really, really smooth. The coaches know what they're going to get from me. They're going to get a guy that's going to come in, going to work hard, going to do things the right way. And, uh, you know, I think over the last four years I've earned the respect of our coaches, and and that's helped to make this transition uh, really smooth. One big thing that came out, Basically, right after you took over as AD, is that now the the Ori County athletic director, um, you know, they Ori County schools said that they're planning on moving ahead with uh, turf fields for all of the schools in the county, with you guys being the last ones to get it. What are your thoughts on turf fields and and what to expect moving forward with that? Well, Matt. That obviously excites me, uh, something that I, I think that we all need here in Horry County. Um, you know, we got to figure out some things as far as our field goes. We have a um, a major flooding problem back by our field, and I think that's one of the reasons we were um, put on the end. we got to figure out where and, and how we're going to be able to make sure we keep that water off of there. But mm-hmm. We're excited about it. Um, something that I think we've needed for a long time, and, and I know that our our kids are going to be excited and, and can't wait to uh, to get that project started here in a couple of years. You, you mentioned the field needing you know, some other things worked on. Do you have any plans beyond you know what the county is already doing with turf for facility upgrades thus far? Well, not yet. I mean, there's some things that I do want to do, um, but like I said, I've, I've had three weeks and I've had to put my attention on some other things right now. But yeah, there's definitely some other other things that I'd like to look at as far as being able to get for our um, athletic programs at Conway High School. How much do you think having a district AD and you know your predecessor, no less, at Horry County Schools? help your job and your goals at Conway and, and throughout the district, how much will that help the schools get where they want to be? Well, I think Coach Cox was a, a great choice for the district AD position. He, um, I think he'll do great things for all of us. Uh, it's good to have him in that position, you know, to, to go out and, and, you know, he's done a really good job of, of helping to, um, see what other people are doing, and, and, and he sees that, you know, we have some improvements that we need to make, and I think that's the good thing about having him in that position. He can focus on that type of stuff, and uh, I think you're going to see in the coming years that with Coach Cox leading us as the district athletic director, uh, there's going to be some big things in store for all of Horry County schools. What do you think are some of those biggest improvements that, that need to be made around the district? Well, I think it starts with turf. I think that's number one, and really just upgrading our facilities as a whole, um, from you know from press boxes to uh, fields to uh, practice fields, the whole nine yards. And I think that um, he's going to come in and, and um, help us get these things rolling. Could I? I know that they're starting with. The, the turf field and that's the first step any talks as of right now for the potential of expanding new stadiums you mentioned press boxes uh, obviously 
uh, stand, you know, lo- looking at, Flo- you know, what Florence One did uh, la- this, over these past couple of years uh, with their new stadiums. Any talks early on thus far on the potential of new stadiums being built around these new turf fields? No, nah, I don't think so. I haven't heard anything along those lines. Um, really, you know, this all just came out a week or two ago, so it's kind of preliminary. But um, we're we're excited right now about the turf. Can't wait to see on this first crew get this turf rolling in and and, and get to see it. A, a lot of fans, especially when it comes to the football team, you know, a lot of Conway fans would say that you know. You guys are certainly not where you used to be. You not you're not where you know you should be. Um, what what needs to be done at Conway to get back to those glory days uh, on we, the football field? We we got to get our kids faster, stronger, and bigger. And uh, you know we got Coach Thompson now in the weight room. Uh, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, so I think we have the right piece in place there, and uh, we get our kids faster, bigger, and stronger. I think we'll we'll be able to get back to that level and um, be where we need to be. Well, it was great talking to you. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing you. I think it's the I want to say the fifth of uh, October this year when Carolina Forest is playing Conway over at Conway this year. So I'll be seeing uh, you then. I think that's right. I think that's right. Yep. yep. So I'll be seeing you then. Uh, good luck with the uh, preseason. Do you guys scrimmage anyone tonight? No, we screwed in Somerville last night. Um, oh, okay. Scrimmage Ashley did home on Monday. So, um, and then we'll have the kickoff classic next Friday. Yep. 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 Well, good luck with everything. Once again, congrats on the on the AD position, and uh, look forward to seeing you later on this year. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Yep. Once again, that was uh, Anthony Carroll, the new athletic director over at Conway, and you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, there the the turf fields. It's the right direct. It, it's the right direction. They're moving in the right direction, uh, and the fact that you know having Jason Cox as the uh, district AD and and being able to do more things on a district level should help matters. I know they're still in the preliminary stages. They're going to go through this process with the turf, but I think you know in you know, give it, you know, give it maybe another five years or so, if that, maybe even less. And I think you could see them potentially saying, hey, let's build, you know, let's build some better stadiums. Like, you know, like we've seen in, uh, like we see in uh, Florence now. Like we see at Ridgefield. One of the reasons why I'm really, really hoping, and if it needs to be done, it needs to be done. I understand it, but just on a on a personal, selfish level, I'm hoping that 
that the schedules do not have to be changed, or at the very least, if they are changed, that everyone can just get on the same page and the and the schedules basically just get flipped on their heads. You know, the region games in the back get moved up front, and then the non-region games that you were going to play get pushed to the back, but you're still playing all the same teams in the same locations and all of that. And now, obviously, COVID can wreak havoc on things. But, you know, and, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day. Bisco on the air, by the way, if you if you don't follow me on Twitter, go do so. Would have found out that I was sick last week, uh, and that I got and I tested negative yesterday. So I'm I'm in the clear now. It's good to hear uh, Coach Carroll saying that he's in the clear as well. Uh, but like I was saying, the you know I the two of the games now one of them is at home at Carolina Forest. It's you know it's not a new stadium or anything. But two of the games I'm most looking forward to on a on a personal level are the games at Ridgeview and at West Florence, and that's because of seeing those brand new stadiums, checking out those brand new stadiums. You know, Ridgeview has a very nice press box that they've built up there uh, with the new stadium. Uh, West Florence has the you know has the seats and the turf and all that. It looks great, and that's what I want to see happen here in Horry County. Is you know, let's let's start building better stadiums and showing that hey, you know, this is a place where you want to play, and that's one way. Now, it's not going to convince everyone, obviously, but for some players. The fact that and and you know I haven't looked at I I haven't actually looked at you know what IMG looks like or what some of the other bigger name programs look like in terms of their facilities now. I know their facilities like weight room and practice facility are top notch, but in terms of the stadium itself, I'm sure it's good. I'm sure it's big, but I don't think IMG has of like Allen or you know I mean no I don't think anyone can beat Allen out in Texas but you know if they just have a basic stadium in terms of stands and whatnot then a regular high school can theoretically compete on that level and say hey you know look look at Dorman look at their stadium uh you know, to a lesser extent, you know, look at Myrtle Beach. Uh, you know, if you have a top-notch stadium that looks amazing and, you know, you know, it's not going to look pro level, it's not going to look, you know, division 1 college level, but, you know, that can compete with a D2 or D3 college. Hey, you know, that's a selling point right there. And, you know, while, yes, there isn't any official recruiting or anything in high school sports, you kind of do have unofficial, especially now with the private and charter schools and all that, 
you have some unofficial recruiting going on of, you know, them saying, hey, let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let, let's do this or let's do that, you know, and, and trying to, to get the recruits and, and try, you know, trying to get the top players in the country. So any way that you can sell to your current players, this is why you should stay here is good. Look at how much energy it didn't, it didn't magically make them a state championship contender. But if you ask anyone over at North Myrtle Beach, if they if they don't think that the light show had something to do with the success last season, they're crazy if they say it didn't. You know, things like that aren't going to magically make a bad team good. But it can make a good team great. You know, that extra oomph, that extra motivation, you know, that that extra drive and that extra excitement that you get, you know, when when you experience something like that. You know, there's a difference between, you know, more more so in, in a sport like basketball. But even nowadays with the light, with the light shows that are being created for football now, this used to always be a more of a basketball and hockey thing. But even nowadays, you know, the the light shows that you can do at an outdoor facility, you look at some of the things that, you know, that they do and it's like, you know, I you know, you get pumped up for a game, even as a fan or as a broadcaster, you know, there's a big difference in the feel and the energy between a team just simply, you know, running out of the tunnel or running into the gym with no fanfare as compared to, you know, walking into a gym or, you know, down and you know the music you know building to a crescendo and and all of that so you know that's what i want to see here in ori county is i want to see all of these teams and, and it goes along the same lines with what i was talking about earlier about the difference between you know going to play the state championship game at a place like Benedict or playing it at USC. You know, playing it at South Carolina, at least for me, even even if it's not a packed house, you go in there and you're looking up and you're like, wow. You know, and you can you can see that that next step. I mean, you know, this is some this is something that I've always said about, you know, uh and and for football you can do it too. And and they and you know, for those of you who remember back in the day, uh you know, SMU back when they were the Pony Pony Express, I mean, along with, you know, 
doing some more shady things, but let's let's forget that for a second. One thing that did drive recruiting was the was them moving into Texas Stadium. You know, if, if you've got if you guys have ever watched the the Thirty for Thirty Pony Excess, you know they mention you know they moved into into Texas Stadium to to show them that that jump to the next level and you know uh um I'm drawing a blank on his name um Craig James there we go you know Craig James mentioned I was like you know this is you know it was incredible it was it was so much fun being able to walk in there and say you know walking into the same locker room that the Dallas Cowboys used so you know things like that and and I've said for a while you know my alma mater you know, Seton Hall, and and a lot of the Big East schools, uh, you know, use NBA stadiums. And, you know, I've always said, you know, use that as a selling point. You know, I'm sure St. John's uses the fact that, hey, if you come here, you'll be playing at MSG as a selling point. Use that. You know, I don't know... I mean, I they they should be doing this if they're not, but you know, Pitt should be using the fact that they play at Heinz Field. Temple can use that. USF can use that. I would love to see more more schools do that. Now, this is college. This is you know, this is college and and looking up to the pros. But high school, you can kind of build a similar atmosphere where you're going to create this great experience and say, hey, look, you know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, Allen is technically a public school. And, you know, yes, they're one of the top teams in the country all, you know, very consistently. But, you know, even if they, if they have a top recruit and IMG is calling on the phone, I'm sure that the player at Allen is saying, "Hey, I just ha- I have just as good facilities and best just as good coaches and just as good everything here. Why should I why should I transfer if I'm not really getting much benefit out of it? I'm not getting a huge upgrade." That right there is how you keep players from transferring to the collegiate to the academies is by investing in your program. And some areas, you know, obviously you need the money to do it. But I think some areas are starting to get that into their heads of saying, we need to do this in order to convince at least some. You're not going to convince everyone, but convince some players to stay home. And time will only tell if that can happen. But I think that's the best way to win this war that has begun between the public and and the private slash charter schools. Is facilities, facilities, facilities. You know, look at how much, and we'll have to see. We'll have to see if this translates to the field. 
But I can imagine that there's going to be a boost in productivity and a boost in records amongst the Florence schools this year now that they're playing in their own buildings. Now they now they have to compete with with Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle still. They have to compete with Hartsville still. But I could see those, you know, Wilson, South Florence, and West Florence, I could see them all being much better and maybe amongst the three competing for that four spot in Region 6. Region 6, 4A, I mean, I always talk about it. It's the best, it's the best region probably in the state of any classification. The most competitive, definitely. But I could see this year especially being even more competitive. You know, you basically, you know, and I'll talk about this more next week. Yeah, next week will be the 4A preview. So I'll talk a lot about Region 6. I'll talk some more some more about some other other schools and get you prepared for the Conway, for the CMB kickoff classic. But I could see Region 6 4A being even more competitive than it usually is. And that's that's a lot of fun to be saying. So, like I mentioned, we got 4A next week, 5A on the 20th, uh, and then a full. I'll do a full preview of week week zero as well on the 20th. Lots of things to look forward to, people. It is officially football season. We are we are just two weeks away from week zero. And next week you got the Conway, you got the CMB kickoff classic. Tonight, uh, the big scrimmage here on the Grand Strand is over at Carolina Forest. You got Carolina Forest, North Merrill Beach, South Florence, and Sockety all uh, all competing. Based on what I heard, based on what I was told by Coach Rio, uh, it's going to be it's not going to be a traditional game type scrimmage it's just going to be uh they're them splitting the field in half and essentially just running plays on both halves so we'll have to see you know it's going to be a little different much more informal this year uh than some than the scrimmages that I saw last year were uh but you know should still be fun should be a fun night still uh and you know, hey, it's football. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it's still fun to see, no matter what. Um, like I mentioned, uh, Ian Garen from My Orient coming on in just a few moments uh, at the top of the hour, and uh, and then after we talk to him, I'll wrap things up. So uh, I'll take a quick break, and then come right back. Still got some things to talk about. Got some national news to talk about after after uh, my conversation with Ian. Uh, and then we'll wrap things up. Um, and as always, if you, if you guys want to call in after Ian's off, uh, for the last half hour, we'll have the phone lines wide open. If you want to call on in, if you want to get your thoughts out on anything, 323-784-9681 is that number to call. 
That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll take a quick break and come right back with more Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. I got the horses in the bag, horse stock is attached, head is matted black, got the boots is black to match, riding on a horse, ha, you can whip your Porsche, I've been in a valley, you ain't been up off that Porsche, now can't nobody tell me nothing. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central as we await Ian Gang from Mike News to call on in, uh, talk to him about a bunch of different things. For those of you who are just joining me, talked about Region or 3A this morning, talked about who I expect to see winning the whole thing on both of those classifications. Uh, 2A, pretty much at this point, at least in my opinion, uh, looks like it will, it, it would more than likely be Abbeville winning it all. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I think, I, I think there are some schools that, you know, could potentially give them a run for their money, but you know they're definitely the the cream of the crop in uh, in two A, and then in three A, I'm thinking 
uh, I, I'm thinking that uh, Oceanside takes that next step and, and wins it all there in uh, in in 3A. Um, you know, but again, that that's also going to be another one. I think Abbeville is much more likely to uh, to win it all uh, in two A than uh, much more. Li- Abbeville is much more likely to win it all in two A than uh, than Oceanside is in three A. Three A should should be quite interesting to see uh how how that plays out. Still waiting on uh Ian Garen to call on in. He might have uh oh there he is. Got Ian Garen from Myori News. Ian, good morning. Good morning, good morning to the bravest man on radio today. I cannot believe it. You want to have me on when you know that I've got four kids and two dogs under this roof with me right now. You are <laughs> you are a brave, brave man. Uh, trust me, I've I've had plenty of experience with dog, not so much kids, but dogs wanting to try to interrupt my shows. So I'm used to it. Man, I'm I'm not worried about them interrupting your shows. I'm worried about you know them setting my house on fire because I don't have an eye on them. But you know. That's just another day in the life, baby. That that that's a risk I'm willing to take. But before we <laughs> b- before we actually talk some uh, on the field football, we have to unfortunately once again discuss the elephant in the room. The executive committee recommended that teams move their region games to the front of the schedule due to the spike in the Delta variant. You mentioned on Twitter last night that there may be some changes imminent in the area. What are you hearing thus far, and how is this going to play out over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I I can tell you that um, in at least two different uh, classifications that the uh, region uh, ADs or the region heads um, are already starting to float some ideas out to see if those regions think that that's viable, uh, I've heard everything from uh, starting region games on August 27th to using the middle, uh, you know, five, six game block of the year for region games with a an off week built in. Um, uh, look, I mean, the writing's on the wall. You know, no one can afford to get to October, have a two week shutdown not be able to play three or four region games and then have any kind of a, uh, a fair way to determine who's going to go to the playoffs. These teams want to settle it on the field. I, I promise you every one of them, even the teams that are coming into the year limping, um, you know, maybe they don't have enough talent, whatever. They'd rather play those games than have some kooky system set up that determines, you know, which team finishes third or, or fifth or whatever. So, they're, they're trying to get ahead of the curve. And, and honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that they've able to pull the trigger on, a, on, on these conversations so fast, you know, no, they haven't finalized anything, but we've sat around and waited, you know, for months. I mean, as we saw numbers start to spike again and we, we, we knew we weren't out of the woods. We know the state's vaccination rates are pretty low. 
comparatively. I, I just don't understand why it took so long to get to this point. I don't understand why the executive committee and the high school league issue these edicts uh, two weeks before the season starts. I, I think, you know, just to kind of play devil's advocate and go based off of my experience, my personal experience as well, it seems like over the last two weeks or so, there has been more and more information coming out and more and more experiences of people who did get vaccinated still getting it. And I think as a result of that, I think that's what's making people pause a little more than they were maybe a month ago. Well, and I don't even necessarily think that that's devil's advocate. I think you're, I think you're building my argument for me in that even, you know, let's say even if it was one month ago, you know, we know that region games are the most important. Mm -hmm. We know that, they have to get those in to determine playoffs. We know that they expanded the playoffs back out to 32 teams for classification. Okay. That's all knowledge that we've had. That's the, that's the part of the season that, that, that we've always said we're going to protect. We saw them do it last year. You know, mm-hmm. they, they shortened the season to seven games. They said, play your region games first. This is what's important. I mean, we're, we are living in the age of COVID. It's it's mm. not going anywhere for a while. No. So if we have all that information and then we start to see something, uh, an uptick in, in whatever variant it's going to be. Somebody made a great point last night. It might have been Eugene. You know, somebody made a, a good point last night. This is something that we're going to need to learn to live with. Yeah. So we need to take the knowledge that we have. You know, we have, you know, I, I'm not... I'm not saying that sports is the all-important thing. You, you know me better than this. Anybody who's listening to me on the show, anybody who's following mm-hmm. me on Twitter knows me better than this. But if, if this is what we're saying is important, if we're saying that region, the region games are important, then why in the world are we pushing you know, everybody to go back to the 10-game schedule with all of their non-region games up front? It's mm-hmm. just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And it, feels like, it feels like somebody should have just stepped up and be like, why are we – going to this way why don't we you know why don't we intersperse them at least you know something rather than just going back to the ways of 2019 and before and then two weeks out having to deal with the repercussions which right now the repercussions are we got a lot of really pissed off football coaches in the state we got a lot of ad's that are worried about losing games and and losing big paydays because we have some awesome awesome non-region games on the schedule Mm -hmm. fort dorchester coming to ori county twice uh, yep. Carolina Forest going to Ridgeview. I mean, we have some awesome non-region games because some teams took some big swings. They said, we're, we're, we don't have a two-year contract. We got one year we got to fill. Let's just put together some, some really good games. And, and now, we're, now we're at jeopardy of losing those. And how, how would that work? Like, uh, obviously, you would hope that the entire state would – do the same thing, but as we saw last year uh, with basketball, some parts of the state didn't close, other parts of the state did. If if certain regions decide to keep the schedule as is while others push the region schedule up to the front, how is that going to impact non-region games and and how is that going to be rectified? Because you could theoretically see a situation where 
a team that did push the region games up to the front, like in 5A, for example, not having anyone to play for the last three or four weeks of the season and having to basically sit out those weeks. Yeah, I mean, that's the risk of not having a clear directive of dates. And, you know, like in the the memo the high school week sent out last night, it said, as an example, um, you know, we suggest that you have your region games completed by week eight so that if something is delayed and you do have to play a region game, you have weeks nine and ten as a buffer. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a suggestion, and not everybody's doing that. But the repercussions of not giving a clear directive is that you've still put it in people's minds. So like the classification that I'm hearing about starting region games on the 27th, you know, there's a possibility that they're going to be, you know, fighting each other in the last four weeks um, after region play is determined, just trying to get games in. Well, what are they all going to do? What they're going to look for home games because they're going to want to try to pay some bills, you know? So if everybody's looking for home games last minute and you've got regions that are on, um, you know, staggered region play schedules, then that's what we're going to end up with. You know, it just, it feels, it, it feels like it could have been, you know, at least slightly preventable, um, you know, because now everybody's scrambling, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's trying to find a way to protect their interest. You know, Anthony Carroll um, yesterday, you know, made a really good point that I included in my story and in that, you know, if, if nobody's on the same page, then, then how can you possibly make that work? You know, last year we saw, you know, some teams add some games in week seven and week eight. Um, Carolina Forest Beaufort was a really good example. That was a Mm -hmm. really, really good non-region game for both teams. They both wanted to test, you know, test themselves before they went into playoffs. Um, Beaufort has a really good defensive lineman that that may have been one of the best defensive linemen that Carolina Forest saw all year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously they, they ran away with that game. Um, yeah. Carolina Forest did, you know, but still that was kind of a surprise to me. I, I didn't think that Carolina Forest was going to schedule it just because, Neither, yeah. you know, we'd already seen, yeah, we had already seen North Myrtle beach say, now nah, we're good. We're just going to wait for the playoff start, you know? So, you know, it, it's not impossible, but it's certainly going to make things a lot, a lot more difficult. And it's going to make things a lot more difficult in certain parts of the state, Horry County being one of them. You know, there's only so many teams they can play, you know, and if four teams from every region are going to the playoffs again, then how many of those teams are not going to want to play a game in week nine or 10 and risk an exposure or something like that? So, you know, I just think that we're kind of headed for a little bit of a mess and and I'm hoping that it can be salvaged as much as possible. And and the best way at this point is for everybody to get on the same page. Will that happen? Probably not. But, you know, we'll see in the next, you know, probably five, six days. I'm assuming I know the answer to this, but if things get bad enough, could there be the potential of the league stepping in and saying, okay, we need to cut the playoffs down? Yeah, I mean, as of the the latest that, you know, that they've told me that that's not on the table right now, but, I mean, we already know that everybody's got to be flexible. Um, it'll be really hard to do that once the season begins. Um, and that's because you are talking about rope doping um, people and financial budgets and things like that. And everybody kind of wants to know what they're looking at. 
no, no one wants the playoff scale back. The, you know, traditional five-round playoff bracket in South Carolina, I actually, you know, kind of like. You know, there are parts of it I would tinker with, but for the most part, you know, I, I do like it. Um, you know, I think that a lot of those teams that are going in and that are just fodder and they're getting blown out in the first round, you know, some of those I, I wouldn't mind getting rid of. But once the season starts, it's going to be real hard to do it. It's going to be real hard for them to justify it. Um, so, I, I don't know. At this point, my gut says they're going to leave it at 32. Just just in general, with how things are going right now, how are you expecting the season to go? Are we going to have lots of problems, or is this kind of just a bump in the road and then we should be okay throughout the season? I mean, it's you're talking about over, what, 12 to 13% of the teams in South Carolina have, have already had, you know, gone into quarantine. Um, we've got at least two teams that I'm thinking that are, that are now on their second quarantine because they had one in June or July. Um, you know, I just uh, it, there's going to be problems. We're going to have to adjust to them. We're all going to have to be flexible. You know, if you put your feet in the concrete, you know, and you, and you jump in the pond and the river starts, you know, coming up, you know, what's going to happen? You know, so I just think that people need to keep being flexible. You know, that was one of the good things that we did see out of last year is that teams were flexible. Teams were willing to work with each other. ADs were willing to, to make those midnight phone calls, you know, and then, you know, show up at the stadium by 5 a.m. To, to tape off bleachers and things like that. I mean, everybody, it was, it was kind of all hands on deck. You know, we saw that. You know, we saw it in other sports too, not just football. Yeah. You know, we did see it in other sports. You know, people were doing whatever it took to, you know, to make sure that kids could play. And it was – it was really uh, admirable to to see these people who honestly are not making that much money uh, mm-hmm. go above and beyond to work together. You know, and I think that's something that we can take out of 2020, take it into 2021 and say, you know, we're going to make the best of a, a really crappy situation. One thing you mentioned right there made me think of another question that I, I meant to ask you a couple of weeks ago. Um, and especially now with everything changing, and, but the money is going to make them want to not do this. Has there been any any indication of is it full steam ahead with 100% capacity this year, or are there going to be limitations? You know, I I, I have not heard um, I have not heard definitively that anybody is scaling back limitations. I also have not heard necessarily anybody come out and say, yeah, we can do full capacity. You know, one of the things that'll kind of solve part of that problem is, is look, there's a lot of people who are not, not going to be comfortable going and sitting in a football stadium with 3000 people. You know, there's going to be people that are going to want to listen to you on Friday night you know, instead mm-hmm. of sitting in there, you know, sitting in the stadium. You know, Norrie County, you know, I will say we are absolutely blessed with a football interest that has what I think is six of our nine teams on radio, you know, that we have TV broadcasts, you know, other parts of the state don't have what Horry County has. You know, 
but you know, I think that's, that's part of it as well. So it, to be determined, I guess, is the, the best answer to your question. Yeah. So that, that's so weird though, that just a couple of weeks before the beginning of the season, there's still no definitive answer on, I'm surprised that the, the district hasn't said anything or, or anything like that in terms of, okay, you know, either you're either leave it up to the schools or, you know, uh, at least X amount or, or something like that. Um, another if, if thing, County schools have said that I, I haven't heard it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they haven't said it, but you know, it just means that, that I don't, I haven't heard what Horry County schools is doing yet. Another thing that came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, this is a national thing, but South Carolina, um, you know, mentioned it as well, is the banning of the first down signaling by players. What are your thoughts on this, and 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 what are the guidelines there? Where does it end? What is allowed and what isn't, and what are coaches saying about it? And can you imagine if this would have happened in 2019 or before? I mean, we'd, we'd be talking about it nonstop. It, it is, it's comical. I mean, I, I get what I get what they're trying to accomplish. I mean, the the phrase that I saw in one of the national releases was something along the lines of they're, they're seeing players do it on Saturdays and Sundays, and they want to get it out of Fridays. You know, it's you know the signaling first down, the receiver. You know, turning around or the, the cornerback turning around to the wide receiver after breaking up a pass and doing the you know the the, the safe sign you know yeah. I, I don't know the, the hey you missed it I don't know what you want to call it, it it's but, the incomplete you know, so it's the incomplete uh, signal yeah I mean it's you know trying to get kids out of each other's face and they're trying to you know keep things a little bit more positive I don't know I mean <laughs> I gotta tell you. I got a hard time believing that when, you know, some kid catches a, a third and long pass that, that seals the game, um, that his initial reaction isn't going to be, you know, to, to show some emotion. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, you know, can, you can't signal first down, but, you know, can you do the, the Superman swipe across your chest? You know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we're only relegating certain actions. You know, it's not like, oh, hey, we're not going to do the throat slash gesture anymore. I mean, yeah, there's obvious connotations on why we don't want kids doing yeah. that. But, you know, look, signaling first down, I mean, come on, Travis Kelsey does it every single time he, he catches a pass. You know, he's the best tight end in football. And, you know, kids see him playing. You know, it's 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 going to be hard um, – you know, for, for them not to want to show that emotion too. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and another one that I was thinking of, and you don't see it quite as much, but, you know, if a kicker makes a big field goal, he'll, you know, often throw up his hands, you know, with the field goal motion. Is that now? I don't remember seeing anything about it, but honestly I didn't dig that, that deep into specifically which one. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm just it, thinking out loud. It, 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 you know, it's there. There's that very, you know, thin line between what, you know, what is and what isn't allowed. 
Yeah, I mean, a kicker signaling field goal while he's standing there and there's no, you know, opposing player within five yards of him. I mean, is he rubbing it in somebody's face? I mean, no, kicking a, kicking a football is really, really hard. You know, I don't know if you've ever tried to do it or, you know, watched a kid try to do it for the first time. It's, it's comical. Uh, you, you, get some, you get some funny results out of it. It's, it's not mm-hmm. an easy thing to do. Um, you know, I, I've always said that kicking is, is one of the most underappreciated parts of football. You know, um, yeah, kid hits a 45-yard field goal in a big game near the end of the fourth quarter, and he throws his hands up and they wipe that field goal off. I mean, come on. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, let's, let's not forget that, you know, it is a game. It's supposed to be mm-hmm. fun. There's a difference between taunting and celebrating your own success and celebrating with your teammates. You know, what happens when the offensive guard turns around and puts his hands up, you know, to the kicker? You know, are they going to throw a penalty on him because he celebrated with his teammates? I mean, he's not taunting his own kicker. You know, I just think yeah. that we're going to have to, we're going to have to make sure that the officials are, um, are really in tune with what they're looking for. And they, they know how to, kind of discern the difference between taunting and celebrating yeah yeah i i definitely agree with that and i'm hoping that we don't see an influx in penalties as, as a result of this this new rule the first couple of weeks uh finally looking ahead to the season itself um you know the only out of the two classifications that i've been focused on this morning the only one that's has any teams in Horry County is region seven, three, a, who do you see coming out of that region? And what, what do you think the big storylines are to watch out for there? Yeah. Dylan is, is clearly the favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, a couple of years ago when, when Aner upended them, you know, that was, that was huge, huge, um, you know, variation in, in the matrix, you know, that was the glitch. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Aner or Loris couldn't be there again. I'm just saying that for right now, entering into this fall, it, it's Dylan. Now, you know, the the, the fun storyline for me is that Loris is Loris is going to be a lot, lot better. You know, they've got a couple of real studs. They got Randall Bellamy. You know, he missed last year with an injury. Came back, played basketball. Everybody, you know, at Loris tells me that. You know, if he's not, you know, the best athlete in the school, that he's one of the top two or three. You know, he's a he's a, a very twitchy slot receiver, uh, can move outside. He also plays, you know, in the defensive backfield. He's got great instincts. You know, I saw him a couple weeks ago at a seven on seven, and I think he had six or seven touchdowns. You know, uh, you know, and that's not playing Little Sisters of the Poor. You know they were they were lining up against North Myrtle at the time, and he's and he's doing what he's doing. Now again, it's seven on seven. It's yeah. not real football, but but every time you turn around and the kid's in the end zone with the ball in his hands, I mean you, you got to take notice of that. You know they've got uh, Cam Faircloth at linebacker. You know he's he's very very good. Um, they've got you know three other all region guys coming back on defense, and and I think that what Greg Mance is doing there. And you'll see it when our previews come out next week. Some of the things I wrote about what he's doing to kind of breed positivity with that program. I, I think it's going to be a, a really fun storyline to watch in the next couple of years. Uh, when it comes to Aner, Garrison Gasky, I mean, you're talking about a, a kid who can, 
they can basically do everything that, that they ask him to do. They've got an offensive scheme installed that the players know. They've been running it for years. They've been running it since they were in the middle school now. I mean, Hammers is just a different style of football. You know, as Jason Allen says, it's playing football in a phone booth. You know, it's three, four yards at a time and an occasional break. You know, it's they're going to be in the mix. Um, I don't know if they could if they can upend Dylan again, but they're definitely uh, you know the, the the next team up after Dylan at this point. The competition between Ainer and Laura, though, is going to be really fun. And and even if it doesn't happen this year, you know, in the years ahead, I, I think we're looking at at really a more of a, a three team race in that region. Yeah, that. I definitely agree that Dylan is probably the cream of the crop this year, especially with Nemo Squire there. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of steps Loris and Aner are going to be able to take. One one final question before I let you go. Uh, you've been watching the Olympics? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> I like to I, – I like to uh... – watch these some of these sports and and just think like I I wonder what it looked like the first time that person said god I want to try pole vaulting you know <laughs> that that's the that's why what, what they do is just so amazing I mean that, that yeah. diver from from China last night 14 years old and she's throwing up perfect tens and you know the water barely moves when she when she hits it I mean there's just so many cool things about it um and it's goofy because the olympics will be over and I'll never think about um you know, I'll never think about these events uh, mm-hmm. again until until, until the next 2024. Olympics. Right. Well, I I like it how it does make you know fans like us who you know we're sports fans, but we primarily focus on you know the big team sports in the U.S. to focus on some of the individual events that you may not think about at any other time of the year. It's uh, it, it's fun, you know, and, and it's, you know, I wish that they would have been able to have crowds and things like that. I yeah. understand why they, they couldn't, but to, to see them generating their own emotion, you know, mm-hmm. you know, we saw, you know, we saw it last night um, in some of the um, heptathlon and decathlon events, you know, there's no one there, you know, and they're, they're celebrating with their teammates they're celebrating with each other. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a fun part of sports that, you know, look, it's why we all got into this. We want to, we want to see people do things that we can never do on our, on our best days, you know? So, um, you know, I think that's, it's, it's been a, it's been fun to watch that kind of, mm. kind of evolve over the last week and a half. Yes, it has. It's been my, uh, my thing to keep me going through quarantine for the past week. Uh, yeah. So, uh, thank thanks for joining me this morning. We'll have you on next week to talk uh, 4A, and I'll see you tonight over at Carolina Forest. Sounds good. Take it easy. Yep. Talk to you later. That was Ian Garen, as usual, from or- Maori News. Always fun talking to him. Uh, and, yeah, fun, fun. Uh, it, it's been fun watching the Olympics, uh, especially – for me, and, and I don't know how other people do it. Um, and if you want to give uh, give me your thoughts on on how you watch the Olympics, what you if you focus on a certain sport, 
or if you focus on certain countries like I do, uh, be sure to call on in 323-784-9681 is that number to call. The number again, 323-784-9681. But like I was saying, you know, I focus on countries. You know, I'll watch based on what countries are participating. You know, I follow the U.S., obviously. I'll follow Ireland because I'm second-generation American on my mom's side from Ireland. I'm a, I'm technically an Irish citizen. I follow Germany because my, my dad's side's from Germany. Uh, and I'll follow Japan because I love Japanese culture, Japanese food, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I've got four countries that I follow. And that's what I focus on when I'm watching the Olympics. And it's fun. It's fun watching, you know, even not even so much the sports that you traditionally think of as Olympic sports, you know, track, swimming, you know, the track and field stuff, all of that. But even sports that some people follow on a more regular basis and it does have a pro element to it, like a, like golf, like tennis, more during the Olympics because I have a rooting interest based on the country. You know, and I know for for them, for those sports, they they do uh, advertise the, the countries that they are playing for sometimes in regular tournaments, but not nearly as much as they do in, in the Olympics. So it's much more easy to follow uh, in that scenario. I'll take a quick break and then come right back, wrap things up, have a couple of uh, national and national notes to talk about in the final half hour. And as always, call on in and talk some sports with me. 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll be right back right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. I can't begin to know him, but then I know it's growing strong. Wasn't the spring, and spring became the summer, who'd have believed you'd come along? Touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. Shoulders 
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscoping, and as always, if you want to get involved in the conversation, 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll flip over to some national news for a second before uh, before we sign off this morning. Uh, the big news on the college front, it is official. Texas and Oklahoma officially joining the SEC will not go into effect until 2025 as of right now. There are rumors that it may get pushed up. That's uh, that's not done as of right now. The big question now, though, is it's been a couple of weeks since it, since the story broke. But the big question is now... Where will the dominoes fall now that uh, now that things are uh, finalized on the on the Texas and Oklahoma front? Where where do the dominoes fall now? Does the Big Twelve completely break up? Do they try to add some pieces? This is just the beginning of the 2021-2022 conference realignment, I'll call it. Because a move that big is not just going to happen without it creating a domino effect. We remember what happened after uh, Syracuse... Well trying to remember who started that domino effect. It might have been Texas A&M. The domino effect, or it might have been Syracuse and, and Pitt. But the domino effect that destroyed the Big East, 
um, you know, Nebraska moving to the Big Ten, all of that stuff that happened in 2011, 2012, 2013, those realignments, uh, you know, it was a big shift in college athletics. You know, destroyed the but now this new move, how is, you know, I would have to say Texas and Oklahoma moving out of the Big 12 is bigger than than any move that happened in the 2012-2013 or 2011-2012 realignment. So the domino that started it is bigger. So my opinion is that it's going to become an even bigger domino effect. But we're just going to have to wait and see. And then the rumors of, you know, the SEC trying to get Clemson and Florida State to join them, which at least personally to me, those two schools make more sense to join the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma because they actually make sense geographically. I meant to post this on Twitter, but I never got a chance to. And I forgot to uh I, I forgot to write down exactly what my realignment was. But on NCAA fourteen I have a dynasty that has the ideal realignment. If you were to go the the five uh, the five super conferences, so you know, um, I know Kentucky moved to the ACC. I made ACC into a basketball powerhouse. Moved Kentucky to the ACC moved UConn to the ACC, moved Memphis to the ACC, moved Temple to the ACC. And there may have been one or two others. And then Clemson, Florida State, Miami, uh, might have had, I I know I had a few others. Um, I think, oh, I think I put Tulane. I put Tulane in there. I might have moved one or two other schools. Um, I'm drawing a blank on who, though, right now, uh, into the SEC. I think I put USF into the SEC. Texas A&M moved back to the Big 12 because that makes more sense geographically. Oh, West Virginia moved to the ACC because they're more of a basketball school. Um, And it just makes more sense. Uh Texas A&M moved back to the Big 12. Uh, SMU moved back to the Big 12. Uh, Houston moved to the Big 12. Uh, there may have been a few others. There were a few other schools I moved to the Big 12. It was a Texas and Oklahoma specific uh, division. Um, although I think I may have kept Kansas and Kansas State in the Big 12 as well. Um, Just because, for me at least, they don't really fit anywhere else. 
the Big Ten, I put Ohio. I put um, I no, I kept Notre Dame independent because they just make more sense independent. I actually put Boston College as an independent as well because they just, to me, I've always thought of them as more of an independent. Um, but yeah, I there were a few other teams. Oh, 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 Iowa State, I moved to the Big Ten because that makes more sense geographically. And there were a few others that I moved into the Big Ten, like more more of smaller teams. I think moved up into the Big Ten. And then the Pac-12, I moved Boise State, I moved Fresno State in there. Uh, I think I might move Utah State into the Big Ten, Colorado State into the Big or or into the Pac-12, and uh, Colorado State into the Pac-12 to make sixteen. So that just made more sense to me. Rutgers, I moved back to the American because they just don't really fit with anyone in in the power conferences, to me at least. But yeah, those that was my you know ideal geographic based and and prestige based conference realignment. And that's what I would love to see. I would love to see the NCAA step in and say enough is enough. You know, if you want to make super conferences, then fine. Give me, give us all the teams that you want to be included in your, you know, in your, you know, in your uh, exclusive club, and we'll realign them based on geography. That's how I would do it, personally. But that's just me. Because I, I want I want the conferences to make sense. Texas and Oklahoma in the SEC does not make sense. It's called the SEC. It's the Southeastern Conference, not the Southern Conference. Make it make sense. Uh, one one final uh, one final news piece, and a pretty big one at that that actually broke um last week on the air but didn't see it. Um but uh Cleveland Indians are no more. But they may not be the new, their new moniker for very long either. Last or a couple of weeks ago, while I was on the air, the news broke that the Cleveland Indians announced they were changing their name to the Cleveland Guardians. But then this week, earlier this week, it came out that the name Cleveland Guardians has already been taken by a roller derby team, has had it for the last few years. And now they are trying to, uh, you know, create the trademark and dispute and go against the Indians using the Guardians moniker. And first off, let me just say, to whoever did not do their due diligence in making sure that the moniker 
Cleveland Guardians was not being used by any other entity? What are you doing? Even myself, when I created this show, when I've created other shows, I've checked ahead of time to make sure just so that I don't, you know, even though this is a small little podcast and, you know, it wouldn't be any, it wouldn't be, you know, an issue to this scale. I still checked to make sure that no one was using the name Sports Unlimited, just so that I didn't have any problems. Not only for myself, but also for people who might have been looking for the show. You don't want to have the same name as someone else and then try to find your show and then find something completely different. So the fact that a multi-million dollar team does not do their due diligence and make sure that the name that they are picking now is not owned by anyone else, then it's just ridiculous. It, it It's stupid beyond its, beyond its face. I mean, the name's stupid to begin with. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of the name. But outside of that, the fact that you don't do your due diligence and as a result have now put yourselves behind the eight ball with this, not a good look. Not a good look at all. And I have a feeling that this will end in one of two ways. And unfortunately, it will probably end in the first way. Either A, the Indians are just going to throw money at the problem and say, okay, roller derby team and say, okay, how much do you want for the naming rights? And, you know, they'll name their price and they'll probably take it. Because roller derby teams aren't, I'm sure, aren't making all that much money. This is a cash cow to them. So that that could be one option. And I have a feeling that that's probably the option that they'll go with. Although the the Cleveland is a small market, not exactly like they're rolling in dough. So who knows? Maybe they do go with the second route, which is coming up with a new name. And I would... Personally, I would prefer that option. And I would prefer that option for a number of reasons. For one, maybe they can come up with a better name. And for two, if all else fails, and people have been saying on Twitter constantly, especially after this news broke, yes, it has a not-so-flattering history. Not in a negative sense, in in a, you know, political sense, but just purely on-the-field sense. But if you want to play homage to the history of Cleveland baseball and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just rename them the Spiders. Go back to the Cleveland Spiders. Yes, I know it was a completely different organization. 
Yes, I know they were in the National League and not the American League. But still, it would be something that the fans could get behind and say this is, you know, paying tribute to the past of Cleveland baseball. I don't think anyone outside of people maybe making fun of it and saying, you know, this you're you're renaming your team after one of the worst teams in MLB history. You know, outside of that, I don't think anyone's going to make fun of the name like they did with the Guardians. You know, I mean, I mean, I get it. But see, here's the thing. Here's the problem, and I've said it for so long about any sort of entertainment property. And people were making this comment uh, after the name was announced. And it makes sense. The the name Guardians was probably come up with by some marketing firm, and they came up with it because it keeps the D-I-A-N-S at the end. So instead of going with that very basic and boring name just to keep five letter five of the same letters in the name, go with something that makes sense. Go with something that has, you know, has a history. Go with something that has a personality. Go back to the spiders. Allow the Guardian roller derby team to the Guardians and just take the Spiders. I don't see what's so hard about that. But that's my thought on that. I'm not a fan of the Guardians name. I hope that this issue with the roller derby team forces them to change it again. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. That'll just about do it for me this morning. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, next week, uh, we'll next week we'll talk about um, next week we'll talk four A football. We'll have um, we'll have a full preview of four A football next week. Uh, you know, talking about all the different things that may happen, going through each region, talking about who may make the uh, state championship this season. We're getting closer and closer. We get uh, classic CMB kickoff classic uh, next week. We'll talk about uh, we'll we'll talk uh, about that. What to expect there? Unfortunately, it's been cut down a little bit. Because of COVID, you know, two teams have already dropped out. Although, the fact that it's an even number actually kind of helps to matters because now instead of originally when it was just St. James dropping out, they were originally going to have Loris play twice back-to-back playing against first Myrtle Beach and then Carolina Forest. But now instead, with Green C. Floyd's dropping out as well, they moved Waccamaw to playing against or playing against Myrtle Beach with Loris sticking with Carolina Forest as they were initially. Hopefully nothing more happens over this next week 
but with how fast acting and fast moving the Delta variant has been, I was hoping this wouldn't be the case. I'm sure everyone else was hoping this would be this wouldn't be the case again this year, but be prepared for another bumpy ride this season. Um hopefully it's just for football. Hopefully what happened last year with all the quarantines with basketball do not happen. Uh but you know who knows? This is the world we live in now, people. And either you get either you you guy get on board or get run over by COVID. That's basically those are all your choices now at this point. So, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Like I mentioned, we'll talk about uh We'll talk about 4A football next week. Talk about the CNB kickoff classic next week. I'll be at Carolina Forest tonight at the scrimmage. Uh, you got Carolina Forest, North Merrill Beach, South Florence, and Socasty playing tonight. So if you want to come say hi, be sure to do so. I'll be up in the press box. and And I'll be... During, uh, but well, before the game and, you know, during breaks and whatnot, I may be walking around a little bit. So, if you want to come say hi, come say hi. Should be a fun night. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it's football season. We made it again. Now, now, for how long is the big question. And, uh... You know, be sure to go follow Ian on Twitter, and and he'll keep everyone up to date on on all the activities. Next week, we'll I'll also have uh, my thoughts. Um, you know, it's more of a media lunch, but you know, technically media day for the Grand Strand is next week over at Coastal uh, before the Conway Kickoff Classic. So I'll be there. Be having some fun, getting some good food, all of that good stuff. Uh, and yeah, we got lots of lots of fun things to talk about. And and like I said, we we may have some whole new schedules to have to reveal to you the week, um, depending upon everything that uh, everything that happens. Uh, with all of this, so it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see uh, how this next week or week and a half, well, really two weeks. Well, and that this is something that I forgot to ask Ian when he was on is, are they going to be able? And and the fact that they're starting to move on this is a good sign. But are they going to be able to get the scheduling done in time before for week zero? It's going to be interesting to see. It's it's going to be another chaotic couple of weeks going into the regular season. So 
that'll just about wrap it up for me this morning. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And like I mentioned, we'll have uh we'll have, you know, a full preview of 4A next week and uh more news and notes and more updates everything going on around the world of sports next week, so be sure to join me then. And until then, I'm Brandon Biscobing saying so long and Coming out to Carolina Sports Time, he's going to come over and say hi. I'm Brandon Bissett. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you guys.